Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST 224, the HR Singing in the Heart LP. We love HR on the show and the Bad Brains. Just so great to get back into some HR music, though. Amazing vocals, as usual. This record in particular, some amazing reggae. Just a great record. One of my faves by HR. And to help us along the way, Brent, we've got a special guest. Yep, we've got William Banks on the show. Awesome to get William on and to just add more to the story here. We get some nugs about the trip to Jamaica for Zion Train 2, which I feel like... That's That might be the most amazing thing almost, but it's a great interview. Yeah. Before we get into it, Brent, why don't you hit us with some spiels? Sure, I will. I've got some podcast shout-outs this week. Do it. Okay. These are all podcasts I think I've mentioned before. Maybe not. We'll see. That Record Got Me High. Yep. Uh, the excellent podcast hosted by Rob Alba. It's always great. Uh, recently, he had Tim Hinley on as a guest to discuss Dag Nasty's Can I Say album. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a great conversation. Definitely some cool tidbits in there. As every good music podcast does, it made me want to listen to the album. Tim recently put out a book on Hozak called Where the Wild Gigs Are, a trip through America's underground music venues. You betcha. Yeah, it's getting really good reviews. Uh, it's already sold out. I think it's second pressing, I think he says in the interview. It is, yeah. I did snag one, and I haven't cracked it yet, but it's on my short to-do list. Right on. Tim's been the man behind Daggerzine for a long time. The first issue came out in 1987. It largely lives on Tumblr now. I'm always checking it out for great articles and record reviews. Uh, he was also recently on another excellent podcast that I'd recommend called Rock Writ, uh, and Howie Klein of 415 Records and Bill Kopp, who wrote Disturbing the Peace, that book on 415 that I spieled about a few weeks ago. They were also recently on Rock Rit, so check that out also. Our podcast pal Christian Campagna's podcast, Talk About the Passion, recently released a great kind of comeback episode after a while away, so it's awesome to have the show back. He and another pod pal, Kevin Grant of Gaskill, Wireline, The Hidden, and others, uh, had a really enlightening conversation about Black Flag. Kevin made several really, I think, insightful observations that I hadn't really considered. Uh, and again, I was binging some Black Flag for a few days after listening. What did you pick out to binge? Uh, well, I always got, go back to my war. My war? You yeah, know? I knew I knew that. But what else? Uh, I, I listened to Slip It In and just, you know, some damaged tracks and stuff like that. Mm, cool. Did you go back and listen to Can I Say, the Dag Nasty record? Like arguably the best one no i didn't <laughs> what <laughs> sorry <laughs> but i will hey, guess what buddy what i i like that dag nasty record better than my war mm. take that take that that probably doesn't surprise you but well there's no accounting for taste but anyways <laughs> uh always interesting to hear people's entry point with black flag and to hear, you know, how they reacted to the next thing they heard since all of the albums are so different from one another, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So give that a listen. That's a good podcast. Speaking of comeback episodes, our pod pal Greg Pollard and his co-host Jude Miller finally got around to releasing a new episode of Something to Do, 
their show dedicated to all things Huskers and replacements. They came back with a corker. It's an episode all about Sugar's Copper Blue album. It's, Ooh, nice. Yeah, it's the 30th anniversary of that of that record. Yep. Again, I had to pause the episode halfway through, you know, and and do some listening. They call that album, I think, I don't want to misquote them, uh, but Bob's greatest musical statement outside of Husker Du. Hmm. Hard, hard to argue with that, if that's, a, you know, if that's what they were actually suggesting. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Justin Martin from this band called If It Kills You has a cool show called Songwriting Malpractice. Uh, and he really recently had Mark C. of Live Skull on as a guest. Interesting discussion, in part about how COVID has impacted art from a songwriter standpoint. Like the example he gives is Live Skull's new record is the first one that wasn't written with the whole band jamming in the practice space, but instead individually because mm-hmm. of lockdown. Yeah, there was lots of that going around. Yeah. Something, you know, I hadn't thought too much about, the impact on the actual creative process. Mm-hmm. A couple of our kind of sister pods, if you will, end on end and where it went. I try to keep on top of both of them. Uh, Brian and Jeff over at end on end are getting into some of the discord stuff that I, that I know really well, like Jawbox, Nation of Ulysses, and of course, Fugazi. They recently covered Steady Diet of Nothing and had Joe Lally on as a guest. They kind of, and again, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but suggest maybe that Steady Diet is a dark horse in Fugazi's catalog, like not a favorite among fans, maybe. Really? Yeah. That's yeah, it's definitely a favorite. I was I would probably think like Red Medicine is a dark horse. Yeah. I'm not really up on Fugazi fandom, I suppose, like what the fans say, but it's the first Fugazi record I heard, and to this day it's my favorite of their albums. Oh. Yeah, Repeater was my favorite. I like them all equally. I go back to them all equally, and I always will. They're definitely faves on on each record, but there's no dark horse for me. Yeah. I threw uh, Steady Diet on this week after listening to the episode and just rocked so hard to it. It's amazing, right? They're, yeah. all, they're all so good, man. Oh. Uh, and then where it went. Greg, Javier, and Jason just bring it every episode. I've said this before, uh, but I didn't get hip to, you know, a lot of that revelation stuff in my formative years. Mm -hmm. I I did have some stuff here and there, but really not so much. So some of this stuff they're getting into right now is really interesting. They recently covered the self-titled album from this LA band, uh, Bluebird. Do you know them? Yep. Yeah. Um, It's kind of, to me, that post-hardcore type of stuff, like Quicksand or something like that. You betcha. It rules. Like, there's a song on on that Bluebird EP, I guess it is technically, called uh, Lightning, which is one of the best songs I've heard, like, in months. It's so good. Uh, The interview with uh, vocalist Sam Veld and drummer Brian Brown is so overloaded with amazing anecdotes and nuggets. I need to listen to it again with, like, a pen in my hand to write all down all the shit I need to check out. Good. Uh, they were talking about, I think, it was a couple weeks ago I listened to this, but um, I think the Bluebird guys were talking about um, Blue Tip. Oh, which <laughs> were I, they getting confused with Blue Tip over the years? No, no. 
uh, but I can't wait to get to those blue tip, tip episodes on end on end. On end on end, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. But they were talking to. I believe the story was um, they were talking to some members they knew of Blue Tip about how they had a new. They each had new bands, and they were like, "What's your band called?" Uh, Bluebird. What's yours called? Blue Tip. Kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of got me thinking about an unknown Canadian band that was also active around that time in the early blue beard yeah blue beard blue beard i knew it so i know we've mentioned them on the show before um they put their 1995 album just recently uh called selling point up on Bandcamp, and also along with that are the tracks off of that comp thrash concert tonight oh yeah they're both on melodia right yep yeah yeah and also, Ryan, on this Bandcamp version, it's like a two-hour, 35-track uh, release. Uh, they have some unreleased demos and a full unreleased album they recorded after changing their name to Bull Market. Yep. Yeah. It's really good. Um, mm-hmm. If people just Google Bluebeard Band Regina uh, and check out the track Theory of Natural Selection. Yeah, I believe when you and I saw... Fugazi two days in a row mm-hmm. on their end hits tour on day two we drove to Regina to see them and Bluebeard opened yep. I think I, that's my recollection yep yeah and they totally fit on a bill with Fugazi yep and then one last podcast shout out Ryan Jeff and Soraya along with guest host Ronnie Barnett at Ronnie's insistence on the Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme podcast had this mid-80s band from San Francisco called Flying Color. Um, oh, yeah. Which we were actually texting about Flying Color yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one single and a full length on Frontier. Uh, I've definitely seen this record around, this full length. Ronnie really hails it as a, a jangly power pop classic. And the snippets they play on the show for sure confirm it. Some cool connections with a few of these 415 bands I spoke about a few weeks ago, like Wire Train and Translator. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Their drummer, Hector, uh, was actually in The Zeros, the drummer for Flying Color, and he talks a little bit about the upcoming documentary on The Zeros. That's going to be good. Yeah. I love The the Zeros, kind of an unsung band in my opinion, so looking forward to that. Um so yeah, I'm definitely going to track down the the Flying Color album. And oh, so, ch- check it out. It's yeah, good. Yeah, and some of the kind of related solo albums from the various members. They had three songwriters in the band, so there's some definite offshoots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I was doing this week, Ryan, rocking some pods. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? I've got one spiel, and it's on this uh, label that I got to hit people to called Broken Clover Records. Mm. Now, Broken Clover, I think I have mentioned it over the years, but I can't exactly remember when. Um, But I do know that because of something that happened to me recently, I must mention it again and um, send people there to check it out because it's awesome. It's a San Francisco-based label founded in 2018 by... Bay Area native Mickey Darius. I might be mispronouncing that last name. This is what it says about the label on their their Bandcamp website. The label aims to connect a community of musicians and audiences with a priority on supporting overlooked art. No genre is out of range. 
and all the content is left of center. And boy, is it ever, and boy, is it good. Now, I did recently mention the new record that's out by Enablers called Some Gift. You got to check out that record. It's awesome. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's guys from, you know, Nice Strong Arm. Um, I mentioned this a few weeks back. I realized, though, when I ordered the new Enablers that I had some Enablers holes to fill in my collection. So I hit the interweb, and I found two that I needed, Pigeon Diaries and Zones, and I found them on this label, Broken Clover Records. Now, I was looking this up just on the train on the way to work. Not the greatest to look it up on my phone, and, and I'll tell you why in a minute here. Now, the label head, Mickey, he recently gave uh, an interview with Weirdo Shrine. I don't know if you know that blog, the Weirdo Shrine. Um, I don't know, and I don't know if this interview is out yet or will be out, but um, here's what Mickey said in, in kind of describing the label in the last few years, especially during the pandemic. What we're doing is not safe or predictable, so it's been hard to gain momentum. All that said, because we stuck to our guns and just do what we do, the tide is starting to slowly but organically turn. It is also helpful when folks share our releases or posts through word of mouth reviews or other social media channels. And I went, hey, wait a second. I can do that. Yeah. So uh, I've already mentioned Enablers, and they've got some releases on Broken Clover records that people should check out. Um but I'll get to the best part in a second here. I just want to mention some other bands. There's a, a band on Broken Clover called Agrio from Spain. They have an EP with uh, Pete from the Enablers, the, the same uh, poet, spoken word artist that speaks over top of Enablers. They, he's got a record with Agrio. Mark Lanigan also has a record singing for Agrio. So mm. Broken Clover is actually on the SS tree here. Uh, Zachary Blizzard is an artist that I just discovered on Broken Clover and man, singer songwriter with vocals that will just send chills down your spine. People got to check out Zachary. I had no idea that this guy had uh, music out and it's insane. Uh, Pink Mexico is a great band. Post punk garage stompers. Very cool to check out. Uh, Pungent. Mm. You got to check out Pungent, man. Modern jazz fusion that oh. you've, you've got to hear Brent. You've got to hear this band. I thought maybe Grind. What's that? I thought they'd be a Grind band with that name. Yeah, they're not Grind, Brent. you got to check out Pungent. Their record, The Blotched Moon on Broken Clover. Amazing modern jazz fusion. You would really like it, especially with all of your uh, Rune Gramophone hmm. fandom. you got to check out Pungent. Okay. Danielle De Picciotto. So Danielle is from Crime and the City Solution. She has releases on Broken Clover. Scatter Swept, very cool record called Unfolding, kind of post-rock with horns. Very unexpected when I checked that one out. Very cool. And then, again, like definitely all left of center, we've, we've mentioned, you know, a band from Spain, Agrio. Check this out. There's a band on there called the Fulu Collective. It's like folk techno from the Congo. Just bizarre stuff. But another release that I didn't realize that Broken Clover had put out was by this band that I like called June of 44. Oh, yeah. They put out their revisionist LP. And I, I mentioned I was kind of scanning their page and making an enablers order while I was on the train on my phone. Not the greatest way to explore a website or new bands on the website. And I totally missed that they had this record by June of 44 on the label 
because I actually need it. I need it to fill a hole in my collection. But check this out. I made my enablers order. Mickey packaged it all up. And then he sent me this note in the package. Ryan, thanks for supporting small labels like ours. I know the freight is high for international orders. So I added a gift for you. I hope you dig it. Mickey from Broken Clover Records. And guess what he put in the package? Mm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's the Juno 44 CD that you need to fill a hole. On vinyl. Oh, put, nice. Put, yeah, he gave me the, rec- like, that's uh, just amazing. It's a great story. Um, and thanks so much, Mickey. And a great label. Um, definitely check out, uh, I in particular, I would recommend the Enablers, of course, as I've done a few times in the show. Check out those Agrio releases with Pete from Enablers and Mark Lanigan on vocals. Just killer. Um, Danielle from Crime in the City Solution, you know that that's going to be cool. But especially for you, Brent, check out that Pungent record. I am interested to hear what you think of that. I'm on it. That's it for me, man. Everyone who listens to this show definitely will find something on Broken Clover Records. So check that out. Right on. All right, man. Time for some singing in the heart? Yeah. History lesson, part one. Okay, so as mentioned, we've had HR on the show before a number of times. Um, or I, as I should say now, I suppose, we should probably call him Joe or Joseph. But uh, if I say HR, people will know who I'm getting at here. Um, we had Bad Brains on for episode 65, I Against I. We had the first human rights release that we covered at episode 117, where we had Kenny Dredd as a guest. Very cool. Yeah. We also had the live Bad Brains record at SST 160, where we had Daryl, the man, Jennifer, uh, the bass player on. So cool there. And we had um, episode 168, the Ross Michael Zion train release. 171 was the HR tapes release, where we had Ho Gonzalez on. 173, the Now You Say release, we had Jim Ebert on, who uh, used to run the recording studio nearby Jim Rulin's paper route, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Episode 177, the Keep Out of Reach release, with Mark Riffle on the show as a guest. Very cool. 179, the It's About Love, where we had Steve Hanner on. And then here we are at 224, Singing in the Heart. We have William on the show. So just continuing the story, filling in the blanks. Um, We've got some great tidbits that don't necessarily come out in the HR book or the HR documentary. But I will say, like right off the hop, and I, I kind of alluded to it already at the outside of the show, this is just an amazing, great reggae record. And it's one of my favorites by HR, mm. for sure. And it's pure reggae. Like, there's no like funk or hardcore on it. It's re- maybe a bit of ska in yeah, there, yeah. but it's all reggae, right? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to hear, uh, you know, talk about these tracks when we get through them. But it's a weird album in the sense that, you know, on on first glance, it looks like a standalone HR album. And, I, I you know, I suppose that it is. But in another sense, it's almost a compilation, I think, of unreleased and somewhat previously released tracks from various mm. sessions. It's short too. Like yeah. it, it's over before it leaves you wanting more when you get to the end of this record. Yeah, it's 30, 30 minutes long. I, you know, I guess what I'm saying is that it, it's possible the only song that was specifically recorded for the album is the title track. Mm. Uh, we'll go into this a bit more, you know, when we go through the tracks, but I'll give an overview so the listeners have some context for the chat with William. Basically, the first three tracks are all backing tracks from the Ross Michael album sessions. Basically, I think what happened is they they scrubbed Ross Michael's vocals, 
mm-hmm. uh, and replaced them with HRs. There's two dub versions of the of two of those three tracks. Uh, like so much of the stuff we've come across during these HR episodes, uh, so much of the who, what, where, and when is lost to time. Mm-hmm. Especially when you factor in all the Rasta pseudonyms they were using. Uh, it's really confusing, but I think Will- William kind of added some pieces to the puzzle. These tracks, and by extension, the Ross Michael versions, are the ones uh, that William plays on. I believe the basic tracks, like the drums and bass for sure, were, were, were recorded at Dynamic Studio in Kingston, Jamaica on August 22nd, 1987. Most of the rest of those tracks, including the vocals, were done at AMS Studio in Orange County, California on December 4th, 1987. I don't know if they would have done the two versions of the tracks and the dub versions as well at that time, as in like one with Ross Michael on vocals and then one with HR or mm. if HR's versions were done later. Yeah. Yeah. They, they seem later cause the dub tracks have got some different instrumentation that didn't seem present on the Ross Michael record, but maybe that's because they really wanted to emphasize the Nyabingi on Ross Michael's record. I don't oh, know. they definitely remix these tracks for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, I should add that none of this info is listed on Singing in the Heart. This is all taken from the Ross Michael album liner notes. Mm. These, you know, the, what I'm saying about the the sessions. So we've got on lead vocals for these tracks, Ross Hailu Gabriel Josephi. <laughs> That's HR, and I mean, like on the on the Ross Michael album, he's credited as Paul Hudson. So like. Yeah, it's a bit inconsistent. Yeah, but when you hear William mention mention Joe in the interview, obviously he's talking about HR. Exactly. We've got uh, Carlitha Haskins on vocals. Kenny Dredd confirmed that, that she was HR's lady friend uh, at the time. We've got Judah. I don't I don't know who Judah is. It's a frequently used name in the you know Rastafarian sect known as the Twelve Tribes of Israel, uh, which HR was a part of. We've got Judah Selassie, who's Al Walker, lead singer in the reggae band Zion Train, uh, who released an EP on Olive Tree Records, which of course is the label HR had with uh, financial backer Julie Bird, circa 85 to 87. You'll hear William mention Julie Julie Bird. Mm -hmm. I think maybe Joe Nelson and Matt Pincus's Trust Records have the rights to these Olive Tree recordings, by the way. Well, have you checked out the Trust Records website lately? They have a Singing in the Heart t-shirt for sale, as well as a Charge and It's All About Love t-shirt for sale. And if you buy them, or at least the first 100, you get a Trust Records Lion Dub 2022 summer compilation that has an unreleased HR song on it called Mm. Positive Vibrations. Yeah. Yeah, no, I did see that stuff. That's kind of why I'm I'm guessing that maybe they they own those the rights yeah. to that olive tree stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we also have Alvarez Tolson and David Byers on guitars. Alvarez was a friend of the the Bad Brains going back to the early days. He's actually in that documentary, a band in DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes them to this to his childhood home, I guess, where they first started practicing in Alvarez's mom's basement. Uh, he kind of takes the filmmakers for a tour, but the house is all burnt out. At the, you know, when he's show, when he's showing them around, there was a fire there, uh, and we'll see Alvarez again on the Charge album. 
on HR's Charge album. David Byers, we've talked about many times. He's played on some of, I think, actually all of the HR material we've seen. Uh, I think it's fair to say he was kind of HR's main musical partner during this era. For sure. And he can shred and he can play everything from reggae to thrash too, right? For sure, yep. Uh, Pablo Hamilton on bass, I I think I probably said this last time we saw him on the Ross Michael album. I suspect was Paul, uh, Paul was uh, also known as Dr. Paul, a session guy in Jamaica and a member of the Rhythm Kings. No clue who played drums on these, these first three tracks, possibly a drum machine. No credits on, on this one, but, but Earl, of course, HR's brother, Earl Hudson is credited as the drummer on the Ross Michael LP but not here. So who, again, who knows? <laughs> well, it's, you know, on the inside of my CD anyways, there are some credits uh, the inside of the, uh, of the liners. And it yeah. says, um, I'm specifically talking about those first three tracks though. The right first now. three. Yeah. Okay. Fool's gold, youth and sufferer and Rasta time. Yeah. Yeah. I got you there. There are some credits though. Yeah. Ross, Michael, uh, you know, the members of his band are credited as percussion. Ross Michael himself, along with Ross Trevor, Prince Chad, and Bongo Herman. Yeah, there you go. Yep. And last, we have our guest William Banks on keyboards on these tracks. So, and then next up on, on this album, we have the title track, and it's entirely composed on a synthesizer by Oscar Brown Jr. And again, we've seen him before on the Human Rights album. Mm-hmm. And then we have the other two tracks, uh, who, which are HR, Earl Hudson on drums, uh, Kenny Muschenheim on, on bass, AKA Kenny Dredd, and then David Byers on guitar, Oscar Brown Jr. on keys. This is the exact same lineup that recorded the 1987 Human Rights album. And I, I did ask Kenny Dredd and he figures these are leftovers from those sessions. Mm. And if that's the case, and it sure sounds like the same session to my ear, they were recorded at uh, Q Studios in Falls Church, Virginia, between February 7th and March 31st, 1987, by Jim Ebert and Joe Gelshion. So that should set us up, I think, for the for the interview with William. Yeah, let's toss it over to William. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by William Banks. William, thanks for being on the show. Good, thanks. And blessings to everyone. All right, let's go back to you, William. Did you grow up in D.C.? Yes. I was a D.C. residence, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I played a lot of music there. My musical career started in Washington, D.C. On bass? On bass. Yeah. Uh, what's the music that you first got into when you first started playing bass? I was doing R&B and stuff, and we call it dirt rock back then. In our days, we didn't call it punk. Mm-hmm. I was doing different genres. I played the R&B, go-go, you know. Tell me, about, played, uh, tell me about go-go music in D.C. Well, go-go music, <laughs> it, it, it tends to be, some people think it, the PA system used to go out a lot back in those days. Right. <laughs> and when the PA used to go out, only the drummer and the percussion player 
to keep the music going and the people moving. Right. Until they get the generators back on and stuff like that. So that's where I think the go-go started. And that's how we used to do it when I used to play with the Brooklyn Highlights. Mm-hmm. We wait till the generator come back on, and then we start playing again. But the drummer and the percussion player kept on playing. Right. <laughs> Tell me about the band Press Mob. You were the bass player in Press Mob. Yes. First, it was T.R. Press. Okay. It was David Jordan, the guitar player that was playing with H.I. Right. It was T.R. Press first, with Fat Vice and Spike. Then we went to Press Mob. Press Mob, when David started, didn't want to play too much. He, We started the band back with Press Mob because it was part of TR Press. And we got James Proctor in the band, another Brooklyn highlighter. <laughs> now, do you do you consider Press Mob to be a go-go band? No, Press Mob was was a dirt rock band, which they call it hardcore or punk. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. We played. We we got we did a compilation with HR and all that. Uh, Fido Records and things like that. You know, we did compilations. Okay. We didn't last too long. But we did what we do. (laughs) Okay. What about playing with Michael and Kruma? Tell me about that. Michael and Kruma. Michael and Kruma. Michael and Kruma, David Jordan got me playing with Michael and Kruma. Uh And we started playing at the Funk House, which was... Kitty dreaded them place where they used to practice at called Outrage. Mm-hmm. You know? And they was doing their go-go and we was doing the reggae. But David, Mike didn't want to play just reggae. He wanted to rock in his reggae. Yeah. You know? So we started doing rock and we started doing shows at the Wilson Center. You know? Right. We did shows with Outrage. We did shows with Faith No More and Body Count and Scream, Bad Brains. Mm-hmm. And we played in the middle of the show. We didn't want to play in the front of it. We didn't want to play headline the show. Right. We wanted to play in the middle of the show. And that's how Michael and Krumah got into the punk scene with Kenny Dredd. HR, Jimmy Rowley, uh, what's the name? Olive Tree Ricketts. Yep, yep. Uli Bird, and all that. You know, they formed their own production. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, underground scene, you know? Okay. In D.C. You know, when you were in high school or, you know, and, and just starting out, was there like a, were there... Rastafarians in D.C.? Like an older generation of Rastas? Well, I was a dropout. Okay. So, (laughs) in my 10th grade, I dropped out of school in 9th grade, really, because I was playing music back then. Right. 
and that's all I wanted to do. Yeah, I was a, kind of a they say misfit. Oh, <laughs> you know, we were playing like black acid, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. with the other. I went to back at junior high school, and you had the soul people that played the soul stuff, and then you had the people that listened to Jimi Hendrix, Echo Winner, Johnny Winner, and stuff like that. And when we played, we played original music, rock music. We played, you know. So that's how days come about, you know? Yep. But like Rastafarians, did were they? Was there a, you know, a, a group of Rastafarians already by that point in DC, or was it more like your generation? Yeah, that... well, with my generation, okay, me, I listened to Ross Michael, no, 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 Judge, no cry. That was the first really reggae song I really listened to. Yeah, and I heard you know Johnny Nash and all that. Right, but David Jordan again uh, introduced me to Philomop and all those guys in Columbia Road. You know, mm-hmm. and we started playing reggae from there, and we didn't know Michael and Krumer was lost Michael Sutton. Oh, okay, at that time, hmm. and then. Once we found out that, we started, you know, going into that direction of spirit, spiritual, right. and spirit, because the music is spirit and soulful. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. and it was more conscious. What can you tell me about this time period when HR left the Bad Brains and you and Michael were were playing with with Doctor No? Well, that that came about. They was looking for a singer. Julian Cambridge came to us, which uh, he was a member of the Lionhearts at that time. Mm-hmm. We all had communication. He took the place of Terry, the drummer that was with Michael. And then David Jordan was playing with us. And then David Jordan switched up and started uh, a different format. He started playing with HR2. Okay. With David Byer. Yeah. And then we, uh, Doc used to be Julian's friend. So Doc used to come down and we got Doc to play on some uh, Mikey stuff, mm. Mike and Kumar stuff in the studio. Uh, hot, 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 hot. We did Session and some other songs. And Doc took that back up to Tony. And Tony said, let's do another mix of that, another recording of that. So they invited us up to New York. At the time, HR was doing his thing with his brother down here in D.C. We were doing uh, HR with David Jordan. Right. And so we went to New York 
and started working with Paul Wexler and uh, Mackie was on drums. Mackie Jason, yeah. Then we had, yep. yeah, Mackie, we had Mackie on drums when we did a lot of music. And this band, this band was called Me and I, is that right? It was Me and I. And it, it, it came into a conflict about me and I and Bad Brains. Y'all wanted to keep the Bad Brains name. Mm. Yeah, and Mike didn't want to keep the Bad Brains name because we respected HR. Right. So we didn't want to do that like that, you know? But you jammed like Bad Brains uh, songs with those guys and everything? No, we no. did a strictly original, okay, new songs. Yeah, completely different. You know, electronic dance. Some of those, one of those, one of those songs is on I Against I album that we did, and they did it back over. Hmm. Do you know which one? I can't think of the name right now. I go tenet, tenet, tenet. Whatever the song that was. Right. Okay. You know? Yeah. So you so me and I kinda did sound like bad brains a little bit. Well, we had Doc and Dower in the band. Right. And then we had Mackie. I guess it's and then we had hard not to sound like bad brains with with Doctor No on guitar for sure, hey? Yeah, but we did the <laughs> we did the tracks we did the tracks with uh, with Steve Ferroni, average white band drummer, mm. and we did some tracks with Bernard Rorell. Oh, really? Was the keyboard player? Wow! And then we did some tracks with Ben Mac Magalise, Mariah Carey drummer oh like you you guys recorded we did, yeah mm. time time would never stop session a song called session it's being re- released now as we speak really michael yes michael's releasing it we tra- yes michael oh. we're releasing it we talked to doc and daryl about it uh, talk to Gary, Dr. Dredd, I mean, Dr. No. Oh, wow. And we talked to management and Paul Wexler about it. So they all behind it. But right now, it's just stuck right now. Still need some more finances to put it out. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are. Wow. That's exciting. Yes. Tell me about playing in, you played in Zion Train. Is that? Do I have that right? Yeah, keyboards. Keyboards. Yeah. <laughs> Joe had me play with Zion Train. Mm-hmm. When I was playing with TR Press, we used to practice in Merlin, a place called Lasuna. And Joe and them used to practice there. And TR Press used to practice down the hallway. And when Zion Train practiced, Joe had David Jordan's keyboard, the Hammond, mm-hmm. and he used to want me to play <laughs> keyboards. Okay. Were you, were you okay with that? that? <laughs> hey, 
I like I love music. Right. That's me. Yep. You know what I mean? I, I was okay with everything that Joe did. Yeah. Or whatever body to because I'm just here to play music and, and share my talent with everyone. Were you hanging around Dreadhouse or what was known as Dreadhouse at this point? Mm, well, I hung out at Julie Bird's. I used to live with Julie Bird. Mm-hmm. They used to call that, well, maybe that, right across the Florida Avenue on night. Across night. from the police station? <laughs> right. Right across from the police station. When they did the campaign cruise, they came and raided the place. <laughs> so you lived there? Yeah, we lived there with Jimmy Rowley, Spike, and Scooter mm-hmm. at the time. Describe that. Describe that to me. What was that like, just day to day? That was that was that was uh, that was Olive Tree uh, place where they did all their work at. Mm-hmm. You know, they Kenny Dread used to come over and Jimmy Bird and all them, Beefeater and all them. You know, mm-hmm. everybody used to come there, you know, because Kenny Dredd had a lot to do with it. He was moving a lot of things around, mm-hmm. making things work for us and work for people. Yeah. Did you go on, on tour with Zion Train? No, we never did a tour hmm. that I know of. <laughs> I was playing a Ross Michael tour also at okay. the time. So the you know I mean? the Ross Michael album that came out on SST, I believe some of that or all of it was parts of it were recorded in Jamaica. Do you know anything about that? Yes, they recorded in the Jamaica, the bass player and the drummer and everything, but they got me to play keyboards on it. After, like back in DC or whatever. After, yeah, yes, and in the same time we did railroad records, and I played bass on that one. On those. Wh- which one's that? Oh no, the railroad record. What's uh, that? Our faith, our faith. Okay. I played bass on our faith. I played keyboards on Zion Train, singing in the heart and all those songs. Right. Yeah. Do you know who all went to Jamaica? No. At that time, he he was in Jamaica. I was playing with Rostin. Ah, okay. He came back at Ross. He came back, and he went to Ross' house. Okay. English man left the band for some reason I do not know. Mm-hmm. And so Joe said they got to go to the studio in Orange County the next day. So I, that's what I did. I helped him out. We practiced in Ross Michael's backyard, and then the next day we went there. Follow the keyboard thing. We went to Orange County to mix it with Greg Gins, mm-hmm. the guitar player for Black Flag. Yep. And I played keyboard. Joe said, put keyboards on this. <laughs> okay. So, so the bass player the bass player on that, Pablo Hamilton, he was he a Jamaican? Yes, as far as I know of. Okay. Earl don't even remember. We <laughs> you know, but <laughs> Joe know most of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Okay, uh, the percussionists on the on the album, uh, like Bongo Herman, Prince Chad, Ross Michael, and Ross Trevor. Would do you know if that would have been yeah. done at the same time as you did the keys, or would that have been done in Jamaica? That was that was that was done in Orange County. Okay, those are all p- people from Ross Michael's band. I'm assuming. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Prince Chad is his stepson. Okay. And uh, Trevor was his bass drummer, the Nia Bingy bass drum. And then you had, we had Lester. Lester Farai came in there and played guitar on the railroad stuff. Our favorite album. Who's Alvarez Tolson? Alvarez uh, was the guitar player for Funkadelic, I think he was. Ah. Okay. You talking about the guitar player, correct? Yeah, yeah. He played on on these tracks on the Ross Michael singing yeah. the stuff. Yeah, he he played. Was he a DC guy? Don't. No, he was North Carolina, South Carolina, hmm. in that area. And Skitch, really, I thought Skitch played on it, but I guess. Hmm. Hey, a lot of memories, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going back a ways here for sure. Yeah, yeah. long way back. Yeah. Car- who's Carlitha Haskins? I'm I'm assuming she was, uh, you know, HR's partner at the time. Yeah, HR partner at the time. Yeah. Really, Joe had his had his uh, unit. People from North Carolina that played. Alvarez, I, I, he was the percussion player. I remember him now. He was he was from North Carolina too. All of them came up together, and they moved into Jimmy Bird's place and stuff like that. And that was Joe's one of Joe's women. And Judah Selassie, who does some backing vocals, that's Al Walker, right? Yes. Judah was real close to Joe. They the ones that really got into the most of the spiritual part of the Bingi and Holly Selassie mm-hmm. and things. And see Ross Michael, the foundation of that. On the record, there's another Judah listed on there. Do you know what that would that be? Jose Gonzalez. No, it's another little. I got the picture that we took in the Sooner Studio. Had Jose. All he did was really was there. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> well, I know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't play an instrument. Then you had. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. The trumpet player. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know Oscar Brown Jr. was around. Tell me about Oscar. Oh, he, Oscar did, he did uh, that uh, human rights yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he took, uh, he was before, he was after Randy Choice. And then, yeah. we've, and then we've got David Byers on guitar. He was an amazing guitar player. David, I knew David Byers when he was 12 years old. Like I said, he was a junior Brooklyn highlight. 
in the Brooklyn area in D.C. You had North Michigan, then you had Brooklyn, you had where Doc and them come from, you know, their area. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Land over Oxen Hill. That's the area. See, everybody had an area. Yeah. You know, just like Trouble Funk was Southeast. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Red Essence was Northeast. Brooklyn Eyes was Northeast. Did you end up playing some shows with, with HR? Like live? Did you do any touring at all? Yeah. We did some shows with HR. I did some shows in Ithaca, New York, and stopped playing bass. Mm-hmm. You know, Ithaca, New York, Woodbury Ski Club. You know, some other shows. I played with Earl, and I played with Skits and Randy Choice on those shows. Mostly with other yeah. reggae bands, or like with punk bands? The punk bands was T.R. Press. I played with uh, Jimmy Rowley band. <laughs> His band one time, a couple of times, I took Skeeter place. Oh, yeah? Because Skeeter wasn't around. Okay. Yeah. McKinney drink. You know. And you're still playing music now. You told me before we we started recording that you played with David Jordan last night. <laughs> or a couple nights ago. Yeah. Well, we backing up uh, Native American artists. And he plays original reggae music. Mm. I mean, like original, original culture of reggae music into his format. He does. Oh yeah, and wh- who? Yeah, I What's his name so people can name, can look it up? The name is Casper La Lamatawa. Okay. La Vasca. Six hundred two mighty six hundred two band. It's the band. We got some shows coming up in the casino. We do Native American uh, shows. Oh, that's great. Um, we do, yeah. We do a lot of those shows. Right on. William, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. You have a nice day. And and bless all everybody that love music. And, you know... I have to say something. Those guys, HR, Ross Michael, they the one that really started the reggae movement in California. Yeah. Paul's are concerned. They the one are the foundation of that. Sublime and all them and all those bands. Slightly stupid. Mm-hmm. Long Beach Star Stars. You, you know, Joe influence a lot of people and Ross Michael influenced Joe yeah. and for the spirit of uh, togetherness and oneness and all that. Yeah. Right on. Thanks, William. All right. You take care of yourself. Take care. And the family. You too. All take right. care. Bye. All right. So cool to hear from William to get some more nuggets of this story. And I mean... It's just amazing when you're listening to this record to hear from someone who was in the studio, part of HR's crew, traveling with them, playing. And it's great to hear that uh, William is still playing out and putting out music and 
we're going to maybe hear some uh, long lost tracks get released soon, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. He's playing uh, reggae, though, not dirt rock. <laughs> <laughs> I did like dirt rock. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to hear him say, though, playing reggae with uh, Native American artists. Yeah, I checked some uh, of that stuff out. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. that is a, that's very interesting and not surprising at all to hear that there's that uh, kinship, that synergy mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, cultural history and music. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so he mentions Paul Wexler being involved with these recordings that he did with Doc, Daryl, uh, Jason Mackey, and you know a few other drummers that he talks about, along with Michael Nkrumah, uh, under the working title Me and I. Paul Wexler is the son of Jerry Wexler, who's just a total legend in the business. Uh, like he and Ahmet Artagan signed Zeppelin, for example. Uh, and he, uh, Jerry, Paul's dad, produced a lot of that stack stuff that was done mm. in Muscle Shoals. Uh, he worked with Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Dusty Springfield. Paul was definitely involved with the Bad Brains around this time. Like he mastered the the I and I Survive 12 inch EP, mm-hmm. which would have come out, you know, would have been the last one of the last things the Bad Brains did, you know, before reforming for I Against I. Uh, regarding Press Mob, so uh, the band that that William was in, I finally tracked down a copy of that DC Rocks compilation, the Olive Tree comp from 1987 it's weird they partnered with british label wet spots records not sure how that connection got made uh, wet spots doesn't have a very long discography uh, their first release is the white flag sergeant pepper compilation and then oh, yeah. and then their sixth and final release wet spots uh was screeching weasels boogada 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 album hmm. so you know again we talk about these under documented scenes this kind of post go go DC scene, if you you know if I can call it that, is right up there with stuff that's just not documented. And again, I think it's a lot of this stuff came out on cassette, like you know, other recordings by these bands. You might get some hate mail by saying we're in a post go go world, though. <laughs> I'm not sure that we're in a post go go world. Yeah, maybe. Uh, this comp DC Rocks has a few HR tracks on it that we've already heard, like it'll be all right uh, from It's About Love and uh, Power of the Trinity from Keep Out of Reach. Uh, it has two tracks from Scythian or Scythian, almost crossover, I'd say. This band, Matt Ray, uh, the guitarist, is an absolute shredder. So many shredders in this kind of yeah. scene. Uh, vocalist Zach Fuller uh, was previous to this in a post-punk band called Troubled Gardens that had a 12-inch EP on that DC label Fountain of Youth. That's pretty cool. Yep. You, you can hear that on YouTube. Uh, and then there's two tracks from the band Revelation. We've talked about them before. Skeeter Thompson, Greg Miller, Kenny Dredd, James Riley on vocals. It's a bit artier, Revelation. Some hip-hop elements to it. You can stream their cassette uh, album on Final... or That's called Final Days. You can, you can find that up on streaming site, Revelation. Uh, unfortunately, only one track from Outrage on this comp. That's Kenny Dredd, uh, David Byers, Doc Knight. We've all seen them on these HR albums. Uh, the track on, on this comp almost sounds like Living Color or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vernon Reed gets a thank you in the liners on this record. Yep, for sure. Uh, on this DC Rocks comp, uh, one super great track from a band called Dove. 
Uh, the track's called... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I figured you might know Dove. Um, oh, yeah. The track is called Wrecking Ball. And they're, it, they're pretty thrashy for my taste. Yeah, well, they released a, a full length under the name uh, Dove, and the, the title of the album's called Wrecking Ball. It came out in 92, so a bit later than this. That's also up on YouTube. It's weird but cool. It's got some gothy rock, uh, some hardcore, and some neoclassical shredding in it too. Yeah. Uh, Peter Moffat of Wool, Burning Airlines, and tons more was the drummer in, in Dove. And bassist Ben Pape went on to play in that band Four Horsemen, actually, that Dimwit from DOA was in. Oh. Yeah, uh, I think that Dove record is on that German label Lost and Found Records, yeah, the yeah, CD. Yeah. I just, I never know if Lost and Found stuff is legit or not. Do you know? Like, it seems like sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And then they keep repackaging all that old hardcore stuff. Like, I've got, like, it seems like five cds by ignite on lost and found and it's almost all the same tracks hmm. like what is up with that label yeah I lost and found I, records i don't know too much about it but um i gotta track this dove down because this album on on here is right up my alley for sure uh, oh i know it, it <laughs> i have it it's good it's great but it's like it's pushing the boundaries for me yeah i'm sure yeah well i just mentioned neoclassical shredding so that's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the guitarist, Stuart Kaysen, was in The Meat Men uh, and another Olive Tree band uh, that David Byers was in called The Psychotics. Mm. And the lead singer, Eric, was in early Discord bands Red Sea and Double O and, and a bunch more. So check out Dove. And then uh, also on this DC Rocks compilation, INICU have two tracks of weird, almost butthole surfers-esque uh, tracks just loaded with samples. Kenny Dredd was again involved in that band. And then uh, two tracks from Press Mob. Uh, Ivan Reed on drums, James Proctor on guitar, Spike on vocals. Looks like she moved to Texas and played in a band with Taz from Reverend Horton Heat called Hell, Texas. Mm. And then William on bass. Their songs are cool, especially the track Dream in Kind. Very similar to the more rockin' HR stuff that we've heard. Uh, it's a super interesting comp. I wish it was more widely available for people to hear DC rocks. Yeah. I think it might be Naya Binky time though, Ryan, should we get into the, to the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. History lesson part two. Hey, before we get into these tracks, I don't have a spaceman spiel, but I've got a spiel from Jim Rulin's book. Can I hit you with that? Yes, please. Yeah. So just, just a little tidbit about hr of course that we all know but i think you know let's let's set it up this way from corporate rock sucks from the beginning hr was more than just a singer on stage he was a spiritual force who possessed boundless energy and could express himself in a way that was both transgressive and transcendent we're talking about a performer who took the total rage and boundary breaking of rock and roll and a deep spirituality of rasta reggae and molded it into one, said DC musician Kenny Dredd, who collaborated extensively with HR during this period. So Jim's talking about, you know, this period uh, right around Eye Against Eye and HR playing with all these musicians. And Kenny Dredd is really noting, you know, HR really pulled together the rock, the reggae. This record, though, definitely less rock, yep. more reggae. Yeah, for sure. So this was released on CD, LP, and cassette sometime in 1989. 
green vinyl LP as well. Yeah, at some point, yeah. Uh, so we've got uh, the first track, Fool, Fool's Gold. So again, I was referencing the Ross Michael album to remind myself about these tracks. So there's eight tracks total on that Ross Michael album, four of which are credited to Al Walker and the other four are credited to HR as far as writing goes. Mm. Uh, one of HR's tracks on there is kind of this weird dub. Uh, and the other three that he wrote are these first three tracks. So that makes sense that he, he basically took three of the four songs that he wrote for that Ross Michael session and uh, used them for this release. Uh, way more reverb on the drums on those Ross Michael versions. I listened to mm-hmm. it this week. Uh, yep. The backing vocals are up way higher in the mix on that one. And I think some of the percussion is is dialed back on these HR versions. Definitely, like I said, remixed for this release. And with all due respect to Ross Michael, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who wouldn't agree that HR's vocals just blow Ross Michael's out of the water. Yeah, you can really tell like HR... Um, brings another, brings it to another level, I would say, and you can really feel it from HR. Just he's just a better vocalist. He's HR after yeah. all. Come on. Yeah, it his vocals really elevate these tracks for me. Yeah. Like, nothing on that Ross Michael album just totally blew me away, but this Fool's Gold song just kicks so much ass. Yeah, the version is great. It's yeah. all about not letting appearances fool you too, and which is a theme that HR has in many of his lyrics on this record. Well, even his lifestyle, right? Like anytime you hear people suggest anyways, especially the other member of the Bad Brains, that any anytime the Bad Brains came close to making some serious money, <laughs> right, right. You know, the devil, HR would sabotage it because, you know. Fool, fool's gold. Fool's gold, yeah. Don't don't take the fool's gold. Uh, the next track, Youth Man Sufferer. I don't know about these synth sounds, but you know that was very common with '80s reggae. Yeah, for me, when they the synths come in, I'm just kind of like, "Ooh, that's not." And then all of a sudden, it gets into the groove, and I'm like, "Ah, no, it fits in there. It fits in the pocket." Yeah. So if you listen to the Ross Michael version, he, he and HR kind of duet a little bit on this one, like the the part where it goes, "In our hour of need, we give thanks and praise to Haile Selassie." Like HR sings that part also on the the Ross Michael album. I'm assuming that's David Byers just tearing shit up at the end of this song. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think's on woodblocks on this track? Oh, probably Ross Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, the bass is up way more on the Ross Michael version and it's processed too. Like there's an effect on it or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, heavy on the bongos, I think on the Ross Michael version. It's more, it's done, that version's done more in a dub style, almost. Uh, but vo- even with the vocals aside, I prefer this version. And then we've got Rasta time. I like the, how the time changes between the two main parts. It basically goes double time for what I would call the verses. Yeah, you can, it's got that throbbing kind of midsection. You can just tell that people on the dance floor would be pulsating to that. Yeah. The drumming is actually very sparse. It it really relies on the bass to keep the beat on a lot of this stuff. Like most of the these Jamaican session dudes, Pablo Ham- Hamilton is just a total player. Mm-hmm. This is the track that references Nyabingi also repeatedly. That's the religious Rastafarian drumming style that Ross Michael's known for, Nyabingi drumming. 
again, HR and Ross Michael do more of a duet on the Ross version, but on the Zion Train version. But this one's the closest to that version as far as the mix goes, I would say. Mm. And then we've got Fool's Gold dub version. So, like I said, who knows when this was done? Possibly in Orange County. Uh, again, referring to the Zion Train liner notes, it says that that album was mixed by Mike and Joe. So I'm assuming that that means Ross Michael and HR. It's almost as though they were deliberately trying to confuse people with the liner notes. I don't know, <laughs> with the credits. <laughs> Uh, this is this is a cool dub version that features William's keyboard part pretty prominently. And just like that, we're flipping it over. And so here's the title track, Singing in the Heart. Uh, all of the instrumentation, as I mentioned, was done on the on a drum machine and a synthesizer by Oscar Brown Jr. I'm sorry, uh, but this track's awful, man. We We've heard some dated production that I can get past on this show, but... This is just too much to bear for me. It sounds like something from a quirky 80s rom-com or something. It's just that really bad hand clap sound on the synthesizer. Just, I couldn't get past it. Yeah, the synth bass is pretty tough to take. I thought, like, isn't there an acoustic guitar I don't over think it? So. I don't think you so, You think man. that's synthesizer too? Yeah. Yeah, it might be, it might be. Yeah, it's it's really tough. As strong as the vocals are for them to overcome that '80s sound. Yeah, uh, and and then we've got what I suspect are are two leftovers from the Human Rights album sessions. Don't trust no shadows after dark. And these are songs are all credited to HR, by the way, on this side. The production on that album isn't the greatest, but it's infinitely better than what we just heard for sure. Uh, I haven't listened to that album, I don't think, since we covered it, you know. So I'm not sure how these tracks stack up compared to those songs. Like, you know, if they were left off because they're weaker than the others, maybe. Mm -hmm. This one isn't terrible, but it's not very memorable either. David Byers' guitar shredding saves it for me a little bit. And of course, HR's vocal is good. Uh, and then we've got Treat Street. This track, like, like you said, it's almost ska or, you know, funk, yeah. maybe. It's kind of ska. Yeah. I don't know where Treat Street is, but I don't want to go there. Even HR's <laughs> vocal is, is kind of annoying for me on this street, on this song. That's still okay. Yeah. For me, these still, two it, these two tracks could have been left unreleased. Don't Trust No kind of has like a Bad Brains intro to it, which kind of redeemed it for me. And then this one was just interesting because it had such a different rhythm. But it is uh, it is side one for me definitely that that kind of stands out. Except that the next track, this dub version is killer. For yeah, me. yeah, for sure. Ends the record with youth youth man suffer dub version, a proper bass heavy dub track. Just killer. Yeah. yeah, and this one too. Like there's new instrumentation on top of this one that must have been added at a later date. Yeah, pretty classic album cover. Lots of you know, Rastafarian iconography uh, created by Craig Abara, who worked in the SST art department from 87 through 96. He, of course, now runs uh, Water Under the Bridge Records uh, and played in cruise band Rig. Rig actually played a show recently, or were scheduled to. I'm not sure if it actually happened. It, I think it might have gotten derailed by COVID, uh, but I would have loved to see that. Those two albums they did on cruise are, are right up my alley. Yeah, they're cool. Uh, we've got uh, a couple of the Lions of Judah, one of the, the main emblems of the Rastafari religion. 
got the Star of David on there. Uh, so they believe Emperor Haile Selassie was a descendant of the Hebrew kings David and Solomon, as well as Judah. So that's why they they use that symbol quite often. Uh, they use the green, gold, and red of the traditional Ethiopian flag. Ethiopia is their you know, Zion or promised land that they were taken from by European slave owners and brought to Babylon. Uh, we've got Haile Selassie on the cover, of course, the emperor of Ethiopia from 1930 through 74. Many Rastas believe him to be the second coming of Jesus. Haile Selassie was kind of his regal name, but his, his birth name, his first name is Tafari. And uh, when he was first crowned prince, uh, he took the title Ras. So that's where you get Rastafarian from. Uh, I think that might be uh, on the cover, possibly the Rod of Correction which was kind of a staff given to Jamaican politician Michael Manley by Haile Selassie, which he would wave around while he was giving speeches. Some believed it had, uh, you know, mystical qualities. And uh, it had the symbol of the, Ethi uh, the Ethiopian Navy on top of it. So I think that's what my, those might be. And then we've got Jimmy Riley's now iconic HR logo. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's credited to Jimmy Graphics on the on the inside the back cover ryan maybe that's like holy mount zion on the back it's a mountain range yep yeah i don't know where it is but uh, i think that's a good guess we've got a bob marley quote who jaw bless no man curse a pretty good thank you list chuck and greg and the sst staff thanks ziggy marley uh, my brother earl my son simeon thanks bunny whaler stevie wonder vernon reed as you mentioned Ron St. Germain, mm -hmm. who produced Eye Against Eye, and not long after this produced and mixed Quickness. Quickness, yeah. Thanks David Hahn, who was a drummer in Cro-Mags and managed Bad Brains for a while. Hey, did you get that Quickness re-release? Nah. Not yet, eh? I've got it on CD and LP, so I didn't... I'd like to get that Punk Note version, but I don't know if that's available. Yeah. I don't know. Did they make a punk note version? I think so. They, they must have. Hey, I was just curious what your thoughts were on how it sounded. The re-release. I haven't yeah, heard it. I've thought about getting it. Um, they did take the the one song, the lyrics out of it. I think when they remixed it, that's got the the home. Blow no bubbles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just on there as an instrumental. Hmm. Yep. Uh, he thanks Gary, Daryl, and Anthony. That would be Anthony County, Bad Brains manager extraordinaire yeah and on the cd anyways that's all i've got there is this uh quote here on the back it says all praises unto the king of kings and the lord of lords conquering lion of the tribe of judah elect of god manifestation of christ in his second coming jah rastafari emperor Haile selassie I, the first there you go ballot result yeah man ballot result I don't know. What do you think? Fool's Gold? That's my pick. You know, yeah, I could I go with any of those first three tracks, but I think Fool's Gold is the is the best of the three. Yeah, I would do Fool's Gold or maybe Youthman Sufferer Dub. Yeah. But uh, I think Fool's Gold is pretty hard to ignore as the opening cut and definitely the best one with vocals for me. Yeah. Right on, man. Hey, thanks to William Banks for being on the show. Totally. Yeah. So cool to hear from him. And go check out William's new music. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, what's next week? 
next week, Brant, I'm trying to resist saying we have a blast from the past, but it's SST <laughs> 225, the Blast album, Take the Manic Ride. And we've got a special guest. You bet Mike Nider's on the show. Oh, can't wait for that. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.